Welcome back to episode 9 of The Heimland. Thanks for tuning in today. Today we're going to talk to Blake about botany and biology, some of his work with the Field Museum in Chicago, the Smithsonian, what it was like presenting in conferences on biology in France, and some of his international travels. So we hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome, everyone. We are back after a brief hiatus. Uh, this is episode nine of the Heimland. And today, our guest is Blake Fosk. Fosky? Fosky. Uh, yeah. Fosky. Never actually knew if that was pronounced like that or not. <laughs> Blake and I go back to freshman year at UMD, honors floor, Ioni <laughs> too. Uh, so Blake got his undergrad in bio and is a PhD student, also in bio, right now at Duke University, aspiring to be a botanist. So, Blake, give us like the quick rundown on how you kind of got to this point in life and just some basic things about yourself. Cool. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Worthington, Minnesota, which is southwestern uh, Minnesota, and then went to UMD, um, just kind of generally interested in biology and genetics, I guess. And then just came across um, some of the plant professors, the botany professors at UMD who are doing cool plant genetic stuff and um, just realized I was really interested in, in plants and everything, everything plant genetics. And so just kind of pursued that um, and ended up here at, at Duke University in Durham, 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 North Carolina. Cool. So it sounds like it, you like tie in from biology to botany might have a little bit to do with um, like the genetics and the phylogeny. Are you really mm -hmm. interested in like figuring out the plant tree of life? Or are you someone who's like going out exploring, looking for unusual rare plants or something like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm more the, more the first, I'm really interested in phylogenetics um, working on, I guess, parts of the plant tree um, I work on ferns, so most of my stuff is within um, a group of plants called the ferns. Yeah, and I like to do a lot of like more computational genetic stuff related to related to like phylogeny and yeah, genetics. Oh man, so maybe for myself and some of our listeners who aren't familiar, what is phylogeny or what is right. what is that yeah. the study of? So phylogeny is basically like how organisms are related to each other. So it's just like a like an ancestry tree, like like ancestry.com or something, but but more for like how species are related to each other. So I guess for the more familiar people, people more familiar with like mammals, like it's a phylogeny would show that like humans are related to chimpanzees most closely and then all the other apes. Um, and it's just kind of like a branching thing that shows who's related more closely to who. So do you primarily look at DNA to do that, or how does, how does that get done? Exactly, yeah. So I guess in, in, in the old days, before they could like sequence DNA, they just based it off of characters on how they looked. So I don't know, I guess with plants, you would take like everything with a flower and group that together versus things that don't have flowers. But now it's all DNA-based, so they extract DNA and um, use some computational software to kind of line up all the different... Um, bases and then just run it through uh, these phylogenetic tree building programs that use probability to 
probability based in like the differences of the sequences to to try to come up with which you know which sequences are most likely to be like the most similar if that makes sense yeah awesome um so i'm gonna back up here just a little bit uh before we get into the nitty-gritty and just kind of <laughs> ask you uh at what point in your life did you decide decide to study biology and or maybe switch into botany once you got into college maybe that's presumptive but Mm -hmm. at, yeah, I guess, like, at, at what point did you figure it out? Right. Um, yeah, so I guess in, I guess in high school, I realized I was pretty into science. And I guess the high school I went to, we had a lot of freedom in our last two, like, junior, senior year to take a lot of, like, electives. And I just, I started taking a few science electives and realized that's really what I liked. And then I just kind of took only science electives and realized my favorite class was like genetics and biology so then yeah then I came to college with a sense that I liked genetics and didn't really know what path to go with that I was kind of like on the pre-med thing which I guess is what anybody I guess coming into college with biology is thinking oh like the the wise thing to do would just be to you know to be a doctor but then I guess I took UMD's general biology courses where you go over all the different organisms and thought plants were really neat and so then yeah then just kind of fell down the plant path and got I guess absorbed awesome so you're probably killing it at those punnett squares in high school I love punnett squares <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember we had to do at UMD and like the if you take genetics I think they make you just one time do like a 64 by 64 or punnett square I think with like three Jesus. with like three different uh letter combinations and it's i don't know i was probably like the only one one of the few in that in that room that was actually like having fun with it <laughs> <laughs> but after that they teach you that like you don't actually need to do the square there's just like a there's it's all like just probabilities yeah isn't that kind of the bitch <laughs> of college where you they i feel like it's pretty ubiquitous among most <laughs> majors where they're like here is this really painful painstaking manual labor process for figuring out how to do it and then they teach you it for like a month or two or like a couple of weeks maybe and then are like psych we've got computers now you don't have to know yeah anymore yeah exactly that and i'm still i'm still getting that in in grad school i remember i took this class about phylogeny and i i guess i told you guys about how you have to like take these dna sequences and try to like line them up on each other like stack them up so there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's tons of programs that'll do it really fast, but our professor said, he's like, just to get an appreciation of what these programs do, you guys have to, you guys have to take these like 20 species and do this by hand. And so you're just dragging letters and just, just staring at your computer screen. I think I was like going to bed looking at like, with like DNA sequences. It seemed like on the back of my eyes. Just <laughs> get away from it. The ultimate dad move of this builds character. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow, nice. So uh, since you're now doing some sort of like botany stuff and you're in grad school, what does that mean your life looks like? Like how does your day-to-day -day revolve around that? And like what sort of classes does it take in, you know, different labs and whatnot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... That's a good question. So um, grad school normally, I mean, grad schools can differ based on like where you go. But um, at Duke, um, 
I guess the way it works is you kind of come in with an idea, or at least I did, of who you, you try to identify an advisor who's going to be like your primary, you're going to be part of their lab, I guess. And so you, you can either come in and you're still figuring that out, or maybe more often people come to grad school for an advisor. So they pick their, they basically pick their advisor rather than their school. Um, so my day-to-day -day life, um, I guess, before COVID was just, I would go in every day and I was taking one or two classes. Duke's unique in that they don't actually have any real class requirements. So you can just come in and do your own thing all day if you want, um, which is pretty nice. Um, so yeah, I would either go to class or I would generally sit in my office and read papers or, um, or I do lab work if I had lab work to do. Um, but generally I was in like one lab. So really quick, um, I just wondering why did you pick Duke? Was there a significance about the, the program? Um, is it like some sort of hotspot for botany or <laughs> what's the deal with that? Yeah, good question. So um, I guess my undergrad advisor at UMD, um, Dr. Amanda Gruz, she actually went to Duke um, and she so she, she kind of got me really interested in ferns, and um, there's not too many people in the world studying ferns, but it's getting bigger. Um, so yeah, I just identified a, a few advisors overall who I thought would be really good, and one of them was um, Dr. Kathleen Pryor at Duke, and um, Duke does have like a long history of being really like solid in, in like evolutionary biology, and they do did have, or they still do have a um, couple really like front of the field um, botany uh, professors or botanists who study not just ferns but like mosses and flowering plants and so I thought it'd be a good place for me to like grow and and learn and have kind of all these all these resources. Awesome so uh, just to enlighten everyone at the the end of the the road or maybe after you got your degree what do are you going to continue trying to continue research or what is what do, what's the application of learning about botany? Yeah, so, yeah. so generally people that, that get their PhD are trying to be a professor themselves is probably a chunk of them. Um, and others are just looking to do general research in a place like a museum or another like research institute. Um, so for me, I'm, I, I guess right, at least for now, I'd really like to, to be a professor eventually. Um, I've grown to like teaching and being a professor also, you know, you have your own lab and you can do your own research and you're really, um, really like self-driven thing, which is pretty appealing to me. Awesome. So maybe, maybe it's not your end of what you want to do with botany, but are there like, not to say that like learning about these things doesn't add value to society, but mm -hmm. what is, is there like, is there anything on the cutting edge of like botany or studying ferns or plants or anything like that where does it get is there any crossover into medicine or any not mm -hmm. to say practical applications like you're we're undervaluing your your right right your right studying, yeah, yeah. But. yeah so the, i mean i mean ferns are a unique group because you don't really there's like very few ferns that you eat. So they're not a, like a big agricultural group. Whereas like if you were studying rice or something, you know, there's a lot of benefit to 
I guess, humans that, that something like rice or corn, studying rice or corn would provide. But um, I guess a lot of my studying, reason for studying ferns and, and the broader applications are just in understanding how life works, I guess, understanding like basic theories of like evolution and genetics. Um, ferns can be a good system for kind of understanding those broader ideas about biology. Um, and then there's actually one fern uh, that like floats on the water and um, fixes nitrogen in the water. And so there's been some talk of growing that fern in like rice paddies to help nitro nitrogenate that um, like rice paddy soil. So some ferns do actually provide some some like more tangible benefits, I guess, to like humans and and yeah, like human society. Awesome. Yeah, because everything is about humans, clearly. <laughs> right, right. What was the, what is the fern's name that floats on the water and fixes the nitrogen? Yeah, it's called um, Azola, like A-Z-O-L-L-A. Um, they actually, they published its genome, so they published its entire genome like two years ago, and it was the first um, fern <laughs> genome along with um, one other floating water fern um so fern ferns have been really problematic in like publishing their genomes because they have just gigantic amounts of dna which makes it really difficult as compared to humans and it's really easy to get like a polyploidy genome yes. right yeah polyploid so that's where you have like multiple copies of your genome so like for those who maybe don't know like humans are are diploid, meaning we have two genome copies, one from mom and one from dad. But in ferns, sometimes they, they double and double again, so they might be getting four copies from dad or, and four copies from mom. And then when you want to sequence all that DNA, it really stacks up when there's a lot in there. Um, so the, the, the extreme example is like, so humans have 26 chromosomes, and then there's a fern with, I think, I maybe not won't get the exact number right, but it's somewhere around 1,200 um, independent <laughs> chromosomes. <laughs> so that's that's just how crazy it can get. And that's, I guess, another thing that got me interested in ferns is that they're just a really weird and wild uh, group of plants. Also, you mentioned eating ferns. Do you ever eat ostrich ferns or anything like that? I haven't eaten ostrich ferns. I haven't really found them, but I've heard from many, many a fern person that um, they're really good in, like, just butter and garlic. Um, but, yeah, you can eat the... The ostrich ferns, the young um, unfurling fiddleheads of those, you can eat them. So I got a question. Uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit to your sure. undergrad program. Uh, when I was first talking to Winston about kind of what you were doing, um, he mentioned that you did some uh, an internship at the Field Museum in Chicago and the Smithsonian in D.C. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of museums, love going to museums. So uh, just kind of curious on what kind of work you were doing with uh, biology. I suppose at that point you weren't super focused on the, the botany, but what you were doing with the uh, Field Museum in Chicago and the Smithsonian. Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll just go, I'll start with the Field Museum. So I was doing this um, in, uh, this internship program, which is called the, the Research Experience for Undergraduates, and they hold these kind of all over the country in all sorts of disciplines from biology, chemistry, physics. Um, and so I was doing one um, at the Field Museum and one of the topics available was was about, I was like just getting interested in ferns and it was about ferns and genomes and I thought it was right up my alley. So I applied and I guess I, I was the one chosen for that particular program. So 
um, I got to go there for I think it was I think it was nine weeks in the summer and work with um, a, a genomicist there on um, yeah trying to assemble uh, a fern like um, organeller genome which is not like the full genome but it's a little like side part the genome inside inside the mitochondria which y'all hear is like the powerhouse of the cell so that has a little like remnant uh, genome anyway so that's what I was doing there and so I was working in this like area of the museum called the DNA Discovery Center for for a chunk of it and it's like this um, if you've ever been inside the field the field museum it's on the second floor and it's like this glass glass wall where inside there's just a bunch of uh, biologists doing DNA extractions and DNA sequencing and it's like it's kind of like um, being an animal in a zoo and so people in the museum just kind of come by and like sit in front of the glass and watch you work that's a really kind of a weird setting um, like little kids putting their like face on the glass and like pounding on the glass at you <laughs> it can get kind of like annoying but um yeah that was part of where I worked but there's also like tons of room in the back where you can just go and not be um visual visible did you get to go into all the archives and see all the behind the scenes stuff yeah so at the field i did um so part of this program was it was like a combined program in chicago with so there's like eight of us at the field museum doing you know all sorts of different biology stuff from like me on ferns to people doing stuff with ants um but it was combined with um another group from the morton arboretum so they were doing also just internships based on like trees and then another group at the Chicago Botanic Garden doing mainly plant um, research. And so throughout the course, we would have, you know, those two groups come to the field. And then that day we kind of got to just go see all the cool behind the scenes stuff, get to see like snakes in jars and uh, like bird feathers, all sorts of museum specimens that weren't on display. And then, yeah, then eventually we, uh, us would all, we would also get to go to, the Botanic Garden into the Arboretum too. So that was that was really like one of my favorite parts of the internship, I think. So how about when you were over at the Smithsonian? Was it kind of similar work or? Yeah, so it was on ferns, but it was um, there. It was less genetic. I wasn't doing like DNA stuff in a lab. I was actually just up in, um, it's called an herbarium. It's just like, it's where they store pressed plants um, that people go out in the field and collect. They'll press it into on like a sheet of paper and glue it down and then they store them in these cabinets and so i was at like the smithsonian the natural history museum houses uh the u.s national herbarium which is one of the biggest in the world there's um i i don't uh, maybe a million plants maybe probably less than a million but between a million and half a million pressed plants i think are in that museum i don't know the exact number um uh, but i was working in there on those herbarium specimens on ferns um just um, extracting their spores and counting how many spores they had. Does that mean you also worked with like moon warts and grape ferns or were you just working with like really common everyday ferns? Good question. I didn't work with uh, moon warts or grape ferns. I worked with, um, I don't know if they're like common everyday ferns, but I was working on a group at least the second time I was there, a group called um, the Spleenworts, or their Esplenium is their like Latin name. Um, they're somewhat like a they're a pretty big like genus of ferns. There's some probably in Minnesota. I know there's there's one that grows in my front yard. Um, but so I was like just kind of going through every species there, and um, they will produce it. 
either 64 or 32 spores based on, um, I guess, like their amount of DNA and, and their mode of reproduction, whether they reproduce sexually or reproduce um, asexually. All right. So on top of working at the Field Museum and the Smithsonian, uh, Winston was also telling me that you went to this conference in France. Yeah. Um, so how did you get to go to that conference? Was it about right. specifically biology or was it botany? Was it specifically mm -hmm. ferns? Right. How yes. The, yeah. This this conference was just like, I don't, I kind of like almost stumbled into it. Um, I was doing, so the conference was called the, I think it was called the Second Joint Conference on Evolutionary Biology was its official title. So there's, in the U.S., there's um, a Society of Evolution. And then in Europe, there's other societies for evolution that are just groups of evolution groups of biologists studying evolution that get together and talk about their research but um once every six years they've started to to take the american group and the european group and and they'll come together for one they call it joint congress of all the societies um and so there was like a big conference and and they didn't have enough um like just time and space available for everybody to give a presentation that wanted to so i was just I was lucky enough that my research was in was on reproductive biology and ferns, and I submitted, you know, uh, an abstract to give a poster. And so then they let me, um, yeah, they accepted my poster. And so then I, I actually got some help from UMD and from a donor who helped me um, get the flight. And so I eventually didn't have like it wasn't too expensive for me to pay for the rest. So I just said, you know, why not? It's like, not not often you get the opportunity to get to the south of france on on like a low on a fairly like reasonable <laughs> amount of money i didn't realize you were you presented at this conference i thought you just got to attend this as something no yeah i got to yeah i got to give a poster so they were doing like it was like three or four days of of talks back to back to back and then in the evenings they had i think two nights they had poster sessions and that part was it was pretty funny because it was just like the way they had it set up was so french they had um every person who presented a poster got a bottle of wine and you were supposed to like serve it to people that, that came to your poster. So toward the end of it, it was just a lot of like the biologists, like looking for which poster presenter still had wine. And <laughs> I just remember like a guy, a Portuguese guy next to me said like, Hey, if nobody like comes to our posters, me and you will split this, these two bottles of wine. <laughs> it was super funny. But like, I had no idea that that was, was going to happen. And they said, Oh, like go pick like a red or a white. And I was like, Oh, all right. So did you notice maybe people's attention spans were drifting a little bit towards <laughs> the end of the conference? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, especially because, like, these, these posters are at night. So it's like you spend, like, you're, like, eight to five the whole day just, like, trying to, like, be a sponge and absorb everything you can and all the different, um, like, oral presentations going on. And then generally the posters are more of, like, a mixer where it's, like, more casual to just talk about a presenter, but you're also, like, going around with your your buddies and just like kind of hanging out and just like walking around looking at stuff looking at posters but um it's de definitely like a chance for everybody to kind of like um relax a little bit so did you pick the red or the white i took the red i'm a red person yeah so did you get to spend any time in france outside of the conference or yeah i did so i i, I guess i parlayed that conference into like a two-week trip um, so the conference was in the city of Montpellier, um, which is kind of central 
south. It's a little bit up, not like quite on the ocean. Um, but I also went to Nice and I went to Marseille. And then I took a day trip when I was in Nice. It's like right on the border of Monaco. So I went into Monaco and went to the like the famous like James Bond, like the Monte Carlo casino. Um, I went in the lobby. You have to like buy a bunch of chips to get into the actual like room. You have to pay a huge cover. So I went in there and like had one drink and then left. <laughs> but I went in to say I was there. Nice. And do you speak any French? I took like undergrad. I took French one as an undergrad, so I could like, I could ask like, where's the bathroom or where's the ATM, and like say like please and thank you. But um, the the vibe I get and what people have told me, especially like in the south of France, is like if you make an effort to try to speak French, then they'll like they'll really like appreciate that. And then most people speak enough English too. Um, but yeah, I so I would generally try to like use what I knew, but I usually couldn't like carry on a conversation more than. 30 seconds sounds like a cool it was super fun and just going to all these like talks everything from like the heavy computational evolutionary like biology software to to people talking about like butterfly migrations like it was just all sorts of stuff was there do you have any uh thought about possibly changing your focus um like, are you, like, hard set on ferns, or have you ever, like, kind of thought, maybe I should look at something else? Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty, like, hard on ferns, but I, I like I like plants just as a whole. I'm pretty, I wouldn't say I would get out of plants, but I, I dabble, I guess, in algae and um, a group called the bryophytes, which are, like, the mosses and a couple other um, weird-looking plants. Um, so I dab, I guess I dabble around. Um, plants um but i don't go too much too far out of plants and would you say you mainly stay in like the non-vascular i stay in like the seed free we call them the the plants the plants that don't make seeds so ferns are actually vascular plants um oh true yeah 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 and then there's this other group called the lycophytes which are vascular plants without true leaves and so i like those guys too so I, I work around the, those two groups mostly and then a little bit into the non-vascular guys, which are like the mosses and things called hornworts and liverworts. Cool. Um, so I kind of had a, a question. So with your studying, how widespread are like uh, ferns in terms of like region? Are they all over the globe? Um, and with what you're studying, does that sort of if it's pretty widespread, does that make it hard to, if you are studied mainly on like maybe native plants to a certain location, is it kind of hard to uh, transport that knowledge outside? Mm. Or do you ever feel like you're kind of locked into a, a certain region of where mm-hmm. you could work or do your research? Yeah, that's a really good question, Winston. Um, so ferns as a whole, I guess they're, they're all over the world. Um, I think they, they grow on six continents probably. I don't. I would doubt that they grow on in in Antarctica, but but they're on every other continent, and they're you know people generally associate ferns with being in these like wet low light areas. But um, the lab I'm in, Dr. Pryor's lab, has actually made a kind of a career out of studying these these ferns that adapted to live in the desert. Um, and so that's what I guess that's what our our group studies a lot are these little like desert ferns that have a bunch of like hair and wax on them, and they look not like they don't look very ferny, like if you're f- picturing a fern in your head. 
Um, but for myself, I guess the research I've been doing kind of generally focuses on a more broad question about gener just about like how genes get to be proteins. Um, and so I, I'm actually have the luxury of I don't at least right now I don't focus on a particular group. I'm more broad, more of a question person. And so I can draw from plants kind of a more broad selection of ferns to help me answer my questions. So I'm not confined to like a like a group that only grows in like the Andes in South America. So like a lot of my plants I could I could collect right here around um, central North Carolina. Nice. Cool. Mm -hmm. uh, do you often go out to collect different samples? Um, I haven't done a lot yet. Um, I guess just part of how I guess like Duke and grad school works is like generally like your first year is a lot of reading and thinking about what you're going to do. And really the bulk of your research starts like late second and then on like three, four and five and however many more you want to do. Um, but so I, I, I've done a couple of collecting trips as an undergrad. I went with um, my undergrad advisor to uh, Tennessee to collect some ferns for one of her master's students. Um, and then I went on a collecting trip in Wisconsin, actually, when um, with a couple people who were actually coming to a conference in Minnesota. Um, they decided to take a couple days collecting just whatever they could get their hands on in, um, I think, like southern Wisconsin. I forget the exact like name of the, the state park we were in. So, um, kind of throw a little bit of a curveball question out here. It's not one I rewrote down for you, but now I'm kind of curious. Yeah. So, what kind of advice would you offer? Say we have somebody listening that's thinking about getting into botany or biology. Just what kind of advice could you offer? And then after you kind of give that advice, could you kind of let it tell us like what kind of career opportunities are there out there for botanists? Um, beyond, like you talked about being a professor or a researcher, what else, what kind of career paths mm -hmm. can you go mm -hmm. down in this? Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. So um, I can actually take like personal, I won't like personal, like acquaintances examples. So one of my lab mates, um, his wife is, um, she got a master's in plant biology. So a more specific field at, at uh, North Carolina State. And so now she's, um, she works for, I think the D, it's, I can't remember. It's like either the DNR or something, a similar institution or, or something like that, where she's um, she does a lot of like surveys. And so she'll just, you know, go to an area um, or say a North Carolina state park and try to like do a plant survey. And so because a lot of these state park websites, you know, they have like what plants are in the park. And so there's got to be somebody who knows the plants, someone who's really good at identifying plants who can go in and say, you know, yep, these are all the plants that are there, or they come back 10 years later and say, oh, that's, you know, that wasn't here before, like this is, or maybe somebody misidentified that. Um, so yeah, I guess that's one career someone could go to, um, or to like work for, you can work for the DNR. Um, and there's tons of agricultural research too, in the field. Um, tons of like cool, like cutting edge, like if you're into genetics, you can get into like the, the GMO field, if that's what you want to do. Um, and work on, you know, making new varieties of, of corn and rice that are, you know, pesticide resistant or stuff like that. Because we're getting some really cool, like, gene editing technologies that make it um, really easy to do. So, yeah, tons of stuff outside just, just research. Um, yeah. 
lots of opportunities to be a botanist. Cool. Um, so is there anyone personally that you look up to in your field or what is, do you, do you have like a dream job or like a, a person who you kind of model your studies after or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So the, the fun thing about the Fern community is that it's fairly small. So everybody's even me being a recently new like addition to the Fern community, um, everybody knows each other really well and everybody's friends. And so um, I guess when I was getting started, I would read papers and be like, oh, like Dr. You know, Pryor's research is so cool. Um, and then I actually she ended up being my advisor. And so it's like you get to meet these like celebrities who are in your head. Um, but yeah, I really looked up to Kathleen Pryor because she's like, she did a lot of like pioneering research, really kind of defined what the ferns are. And then recently they actually discovered a new genus of ferns and named it after Lady Gaga. It's like pretty oh. funny. So there's there's a group of ferns that, you know, the, the genus name is Gaga. So you got like Gaga <laughs> and then blank. Yeah. Really. That's neat. pretty cool. Yeah. It was super cool. Follow up to Winston's uh, thought. Do you have any like celebrity fern researchers that you really want to like write a paper with or visit their lab or something like that? Oh yeah, uh, there's always like yeah, there's always people you like want to collaborate with um, that you know do some cool stuff. So I guess one person that I'd like to collaborate with is um, a, uh, one of the guys who um, kind of published the first couple fern genomes. Who was actually um, also one of Kathleen Pryor's students, so he was actually at Duke and now works at um, in Cornell. But I'd love to collaborate with him someday. Um, but yeah, it's like you know all these people. It's just like you know if someday your research interests you know you know overlap, then it just makes for a great opportunity to collaborate. Um, yeah, and then there's there's another person who um, I he taught a, a course that I went to in Costa Rica. Um, and he's just like one of the the most premier like fern people. He knows all the ferns. He knows how to ID them, and he's just he has so much knowledge. Is it pretty tricky to ID ferns, or are they pretty spread out? Or like, what are some main things you look at when you're IDing ferns? Yeah, so it depends on the group. Um, there's um, it there's always all all sorts of keys to getting to identifying ferns, but some groups have a lot of ferns that are very similar looking, but different species. And what also makes it difficult is in ferns, they're, they're really like well known for hybridizing. So two different species will come together and make a hybrid, which looks, in most cases looks right somewhere in the middle of the two of them. So it's hard when you, you know, you get them all and you're, you're trying to think, oh, is this fern A or is it fern B or could it possibly be fern like A times B? Um, so the type of things you look at generally, um, a lot of the like to get into like a, a group of ferns, um, you can look at just how the leaf is shaped and what the um, what the fertile parts, which are called sori, kind of how they how they look and how they're arranged. But. When you're trying to get down to the species level, you can end up looking at characters like um, like the spikes on the leaf that you have to look through a hand lens for, or the little hairs and how the hairs are, if the hairs have three prongs, like if they're forked, or if, um, yeah, or if they have like three spikes as opposed to two. And so 
there's all sorts of characters that can be like really tricky and it takes it takes someone who's looked at countless ferns to who's really comfortable with making those calls um so it definitely takes a lot of practice to be really good at identifying ferns i also really like plants and it would be amazing to go out with someone who like knows how to id ferns well and just Mm -hmm. be able to see what they're all looking at and understand more what to look for yeah I remember so uh, that I talked to you guys about how I would I did that collection trip in Wisconsin and one of the guys that was there was this guy from University of Texas who's been around for a long time and I remember I collected a, a fern and then generally what's good practice is you take down some collection data that people might want to use later in research and so one of the things you do is you name um, the associates which are the, the other plants growing in the region and I just remember he would like just stand in one place looking around like not even that close to the plants and be like oh that's that that's that that's that that's that and he would just like rattle off like six species that were around and i was just like george like how do you how do you do this man super cool yeah it's um, yeah yeah i have a lot of like respect for these people who are so good at identifying things it's it's so hard to keep it all straight oh i was gonna say the good thing about identifying plants is that at least you can like grab them and like play with them and look around at them but like yeah trying to imagine like identifying a bird like you got to kind of either got to catch it or you got to like get that quick like view out of your binoculars so i mean that i guess that's the one plus about identifying ferns is they can't run away and they don't you know they don't scream when you grab them so you can you can take all the time you need to fig to, to look at all the characters you need to make make your call Sweet. So maybe I'm going to jump a little bit away from bio and and botany. So you talked about you were in France for your conference. You did a class in Costa Rica. It sounds Mm -hmm. like you're you're pretty well well traveled. Um, So are there any other cool places that you've been to around the country or around the globe? And what's been your favorite destination? Sure. Ooh. Okay. Uh, Favorite destination. That's going to be tricky. Um, But I guess so. Like the, the Maybe I'll start at the beginning. Like the I first, I guess I first got into travel. Like my my family growing up, we didn't like travel a lot. Um, I mean, I remember for me, Minneapolis is like three hours away, and so that was a big trip for me growing up. Was like going to Minneapolis. Um, but eventually, um, uh, one of the my neighbors actually, his mom was a like a geography teacher, and she led these um, educational tours. And I convinced my dad to like let me let me go on one, and so we took. Um, I think it was like a two-week cruise um, through the Greek islands and then into Turkey. And I guess um, that was super beautiful and super fun to see a whole new, especially in Turkey, like a culture that I was not like used to at all. And it was during like Ramadan too. So I remember like the minute the sun went down, it was like everybody out into the streets, just all sorts of food, all sorts of like new smells. Um, So that I think was my first like exposure to travel. And that's when I really caught like the travel bug. And so that was like one of my favorite trips. And then um, I took another one of those tours later to go to England and to go to Paris for a couple of days, um, which was also super cool. Um, some of my favorite places that I've traveled to more recently, I went to Quebec City um, when I was working at the Smithsonian. I actually drove out there and then I used that opportunity to like drive back the long way to Minnesota. So I actually just went all the way up into Canada and then came back through Canada. Um, and Quebec City is one of the like most awesome cities I've ever seen. It's super old still, um, and it's just like doesn't feel like Canada since you know French is the first language in Quebec. It's just 
got a whole different vibe to it. Um, and then I guess right before COVID happened, I actually went on spring break uh, with my girlfriend to Mexico City. And um, she used to live in Mexico City for a while. So that was like one of my favorite, like most definitely one of my top trips was Mexico City because she was basically a local and she had friends there. And so I was just getting shown around by locals um, who were like, a little bit older than me or close to my age. And so it like, yeah, it's not like going on a tour or it's not like going to things that you read about on the internet. It's like going with somebody who's, who's seen it all. And, and yeah, it can take you to some really cool places you might not otherwise know about. So as far as, um, I'm going to kind of tie these two topics together. When you do any like traveling, do you find yourself just doing kind of like, plant id stuff or does that feel too much like work and you're just like i don't even want to think about that right now or is it just come so natural because you enjoy it so much oh yeah i mean if i come across a fern like i'm definitely gonna take the time to look at it um i guess i don't i don't make it a priority unless it's like unless i would be like in costa rica where i'm like okay like we should go to the rainforest so i can see all these crazy ferns um but i mean i guess generally a lot of my travel has been to more metro areas more like cities um, but like, I remember when I, when I took that day trip to, to Monaco, um, I made an effort to go into like the botanic gardens. So I, I, I try to get to botanic gardens if there's cool ones there. You can kind of see all the plants there. And the beauty is you usually don't have to spend the time IDing them because they're out, they got like the name tag by them. So it's super cool to like, look at all the cool plants. And then, yeah, the, the, the garden in Monaco had a bunch of like cactuses and a bunch of really cool, like dry like mediterranean plants um just like really cool stuff you don't you don't see too much um in 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 the midwest or in the southeast either so maybe another question that popped into my head because it's it's about lunchtime uh right now (laughs) but out of all the places that you've traveled what had the best food or what had the most interesting food and what was that Ooh, yeah, okay, that's an easy one. That was definitely Mexico City. Um, just, you know, high-level, you know, traditional Mexican food. Um, it's just, yeah, um, tacos for, like, man, I don't even know, like, three pesos. So, like, getting, like, 50-cent tacos just everywhere. Um, one of my favorite foods, one of my favorite Mexican, I guess, I don't even know if you call it a food, but, like, a sauce is, like, the mole sauce, which is, like, a really complex <laughs> Yeah, sauce of like chilies and chocolate. And so every time I saw mole on a menu, I'd make an effort to get like mole enchiladas or something. Um, but eventually, I guess I found it so much that I like, got sick of it. And so I started ordering more like um, other cool stuff. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, one of the, since, since I went with like my, my partner who's, who was um, like lived in Mexico City for a while. And then I went, I had the opportunity to like, we hung out with, um, two of her friends who were like lived in Mexico City, they took us to this awesome uh, Sinaloan restaurant. So Sinaloa is like a, a, a Mexican state on the Pacific coast and just had like some of the best seafood ever. Um, just like raw shrimp cooked cooked like in lime juice um, with like these crazy chilies. Um, so yeah, Mexico City was just like nonstop delicious food. Gosh, I shouldn't ask that. Now I'm like I know. twice as hungry as <laughs> I when know. I before. I <laughs> oh, geez. Wow, that's a prime. Do you have any plans for any place that you would like to visit once, you know, it's safe to go traveling again? And uh, are there any places that happen to correspond with ferns or 
uh, are they completely different? Um, well, yeah. So, um, so my girlfriend is actually, she's from Costa Rica. Um, so we were, but before COVID, we had planned that this summer we were going to go, well, she's been wanting to go back home for a while, but we were both going to go to Costa Rica. Um, and then we were going to make a trip to either one of the two neighboring countries, either Nicaragua or Panama. And so that I was super excited about. And that's one that's definitely, um, on the list. Once it's safe to travel again, I would love to get, get down to Costa Rica and, and experience Costa Rica outside of a, like, like I was only there for this very structured field course. So I was like, didn't have a ton of freedom. Um, which I mean, it was still awesome. Don't get me wrong, but, um, yeah, and I guess those places do coincide with ferns. Like, we'll definitely, if we go there, we'll definitely go to, like, the national parks and see um, all sorts of tropical ferns. Um, so, yeah, definitely make an effort to do that. But um, I don't really have any fieldwork plan to go collect ferns at the moment. Um, just generally, just going to probably collect some around um, the southeast that are, that are, um, that apply to my research. Um, so I have one last question for you from my end, and mm -hmm. I've been asking everyone for this past year this question, and it's, what is your favorite story to tell, and what do you tell them? Granted, yes. who you're with might change the story, and like the situation that brings up the story might change a little bit, but what's your favorite story to tell? Yeah, um, so I was, I was thinking about this one, because yeah, Winston let me know that this was going to be a question that might come up. Um, so I guess I thought I was thinking about it and it's actually like a recent one from, from when I went to Mexico city. So I was with my girlfriend and her dad and we were walking through like one of the more like, I guess, bougie neighborhoods of Mexico city. And, um, um, Ari's dad decides he's got to go use the bathroom for a while as we're walking. And so he goes, the place, obviously the place he decides to pick is like the nicest hotel in mexico city so he walks in the hotel just like struts into the hotel just like he belongs there just like says hello to the guards then just goes straight to the bathroom for what i think was like an hour and then he comes back and we're like kind of mad we're like are you serious like i'm not mad obviously because like i don't know him that well but our my ari is like fuming she's like you just made us sit on the curb for an hour while you went to the fancy bathroom and he doesn't come out, like, apologizing. He comes out, and he's like, ooh, it smelled like this scented hand lotion from the bathroom. And they had these, like, scented paper towels. Um, and he's just, like, bragging about it. And we're just like, oh, my God, like, you just made us, like, wait an hour for you to go, like, for you to go poop <laughs> in, like, the, the most bougie hotel in Mexico City. I just thought that was, like, that was just, a fun, like, a, one of the funniest things I've ever seen someone do. And he did it with, like, such authority. He's like, yeah, I belong in this bathroom. Like, this is my bathroom. <laughs> So I guess, I guess that's been like more recently, like one of my favorite stories to bring up. All right. I got one more question from my end. So out of all of your trips, what is maybe the key to a successful road trip or just, I don't know, plane trip, whatever it is. Uh, do you have any travel tips or recommendations for travel? Ooh, um, I guess like, um, I guess like I, maybe I, could, I have like a couple like answers. So I guess I guess like if you're going internationally, um, I guess what I always try to do is not is like don't try to like go into my comfort zone. It's like if you if you made the effort to get out internationally, like really like kind of allow yourself to be absorbed by that culture. So like I remember when I would like when I went to France, I would like you know French 
the French people often like they eat late and they eat for a long time and there's lots of like waiting in between what you're eating so I would also do that I would just like go to a cafe at like seven and then like have dinner and then just like sit there until like 9 30 and I would just like either like read a book or like have a couple of drinks in between like an appetizer and a and a dinner but yeah I guess like one of the keys to like traveling internationally is just like to allow yourself to get out of your comfort zone and really just like like at, like when in Rome you know just like allow yourself to be absorbed in culture um and I guess for road trips, like, I guess the best thing you can do is go with people you like. You're really going to, like, know whether it's, like, someone you kind of like or, or or really like if, if you spend, like, hours on hours inside a car with them. Um, so, yeah, I guess one of my favorite road trips was with um, Henry, who you guys had on a couple episodes ago. And so he's a really good, like, road trip partner. He'll always find a time to do something crazy on um, and, yeah, and I guess when I'm driving, if I'm going alone, I it just, like, it's important for me, I guess, to have, like, podcasts or something, something to keep my mind busy. Um, otherwise, I just, I get just, like, so bored. Um, but, yeah, I guess those are kind of my, those would be my travel tips. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. We want to thank you for coming on. It's cool to have someone reach out and be like, hey, I want to, I want to do this. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, it was it was a pleasure. Um, I hope it wasn't like too too deep in the weeds. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, that's what was the whole point of why we did this is we want to hear about all these different things people are doing that we didn't think of. And I don't even know you could just study ferns specifically. <laughs> like, I'm like super intrigued. I was actually doing all sorts of research last night about cool. just botany and like the different cool. fields and stuff. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, so thank you for coming on and we appreciate it a lot. Well, that's it for today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and, uh, leave us a rating and a review on Apple podcasts. If you leave us a good review, funny or nice, we might read it on the show and give you a shout out. All right. See you next time.